you're listening to No Such Word As Can't with me, Hazel McBride. I was always told growing up that there was no such word as can't, and I genuinely believe that that mentality instilled a belief in me that anything was possible if I just set my mind to it. As someone who started off with a seemingly impossible dream and somehow made it my reality, I want to help more people achieve their goals by giving them actionable advice, as well as sharing stories from others who have done the same. Today, I get to sit down and talk to a woman who has had quite the journey through life at such a young age. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Alicia Hansel. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't realise you were going to start with that, a journey through life. <laughs> I did say I would give you a brief introduction. and. Uh, I don't think it can get more brief than that. No, Welcome to the pod. You. It makes me sound very mysterious and like, you know, some sort of adventurer, traveler. I don't know. It's exciting. Well, you've, you've, you've dipped your finger in a lot of pies. Shall yes. we say that? Yes, I have. Yeah. Um, so yeah, anyone who's not familiar with who you are, <laughs> can you give like a little brief overview? Absolutely. So right now, and for the foreseeable future, um, I am a drink writer, a presenter, and judge. Um, so I, that sounds weird, a judge of what? But I'm a wine judge, um, and I present on a Sunday morning TV program and a few other bits and bobs, um, wine recommendations and drink recommendations, alongside my bread and butter, which is writing for various newspapers and, and magazines. But I guess you'll probably want to briefly touch on the other things as well that I did before that. Um, so my first ever career was in TV production behind the camera, uh, working as a scatter runner, researcher, floor manager. And I re I'm going to have to do this really quickly because there's quite a lot to do it. But essentially, I got to a point where I was like, oh, I'm not quite sure if this is what I wanted to do. And it was really difficult um, trying to get work. So I left TV and, oh, my gosh, I did every single job under the sun that you can think of whilst I was in this like crossroads of where do I go what do I do mm. you know worked in a cinema worked in a state agent like worked in an art gallery like things I yeah it was interesting though and I'm very curious as a person so actually looking back now where I am um all of that was just great ammunition for just you know learning about people learning about yeah. life and being able to now use that life experience yes. to um, do what I'm doing I think there's so much value in that. I love that yeah. because I think especially as women, we're so often told like, oh, you get to your 30s and you're done. Like you mm -hmm. can't reinvent yourself. You can't mm -hmm. try new things. And I just think it's wonderful to be like, hey, I'm going to go try this because I'm interested in it. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't, there's so many other things that you can do in absolutely. this life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I so cliche to say I know life's really short but it is like yeah. I don't want to just spend time doing something I don't want to do so yeah let's go try it out see what fits and you know all good <laughs> what was the first reason you got into tv like why did you originally choose that career path you know it's funny because for both wine and tv I don't have any historical connection it's not like none of my family are into it none of my friends or my peers were um working in either field but I don't know there was just something in me I always as a kid was like I'm gonna work in tv and my parents were like my, my mom's a nurse my dad um was a bp engineer like fixing phone lines so they were very working class very like you know 
have had the job for 30 years. Can yeah. you understand it? Um, so I don't know where it came from. I guess I was just, I guess I just loved the creativeness of it. It seemed yeah. really fun. Uh, hopefully I'm quite a fun person, <laughs> uh, quite a creative person. And I guess it just aligned with what, as a child, I wanted to experience. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. But it was, that was, yeah, I moved down to London. I'm originally from Birmingham. You can probably tell from my accent. Moved down to London when I was 17, so I didn't go to university. And I was just knocking on every door I could to try and get um, a job. And the first entry-level job in TV is called um, being a runner. <laughs> not the physical kind, because that's not something I'm ever going to do. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, I just, gosh, carry, just n- basically I made it so that no one could turn me down. <laughs> I was like, yeah. you will give me a job or I'm going to stand outside your door. There's, you cannot say no. I, I will be yeah. here until you say yes. Yeah, exactly. So you might as well say it yeah. now. You might as well give yeah. me a yes straight away. So, yeah. you know, you started off, like you said, working behind the camera and kind mm-hmm. of realized, oh, maybe this isn't what I thought isn't really for me. Was there a moment in your in-between jobs where you worked in lots of different fields that you thought, hey, actually, I do quite like the world of media, but maybe I just was on the wrong side of the camera? absolutely and I think actually not even the yeah so I loved tv I had an absolutely fantastic time in tv it's not to say I didn't want to do that but I was working on what we call shiny floor shows so entertainment stuff like big brother and x factor and just for me it just wasn't quite what um you know I love learning about people and finding out about people so something like that is very constructed um, very shiny, you know, that's the whole word of it. So it just wasn't quite what I wanted. So when I left um, and then was doing those in-between jobs, I guess it was just trying to find out, I don't know, I guess it was just trying to find out what segment of each industry I might have liked. Um, so when I did all of those other jobs and I... Um, then started into the writing aspect of it, I actually got picked up. So a producer of the show read one of my um, articles or several of my articles, really liked my tone of voice. Mm. uh, And that's how they were like, oh, come in and we'll see how you are in front of the screen. So it wasn't necessarily that I always had an intention to Mm. be in front of a camera. It just happened naturally. Um, And what were you writing about? About wine. So this is so... After that section of doing random jobs, uh, I then decided to go back to school. Well, I didn't go to university, so I guess the first time of school, and did an NCTJ journalism diploma. Um, And I also, at that time, was like, I really enjoy a glass of wine. Is there something I can do with this? So the two kind of came together at the same time, the, the love of wine and thinking oh could I maybe do some writing with this mm. um, so then I yeah, did this journalism diploma worked in uh, news stations worked in Spain I got headhunted for an investigative newspaper out there and then when I came back to England that's when I really picked up doing the wine stuff um, mm. with the writing because that's initially actually what I wanted to write about I just kind of got waylaid with the, the newsy stuff of writing um, yeah so how does one decide, hey, I really like a glass of wine and go to wine is now my career? 
Okay. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So as I said, um, so my my parents not only are they working class, but my dad uh, is of Jamaican origin uh, heritage, and my mother is of Indian and English heritage. So actually, wine was never a part of my growing mm. up. So it's only something that I came into as a teenager. Uh, well, you know, like <laughs> 17, 18, 19, whatever. They're still teenagers. Uh, people will be listening to this, so let's make it legal and above yeah, board. Yeah, at, 18, at 18 years of age, <laughs> I got really into wine. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, so I got into wine. And so I always became, I was always what I say, like an infused customer. So I'd mm. try and learn a little bit when I went on holiday. I would try and visit the vineyards. Mm. Um, and during all of that time, you know, I'm working in TV. People like wine in TV. And so I'm learning little bits and little bits. And then when I was at this crossroads, as I mentioned, and after I'd done all of these different things, and I sat there one day and I was like, as I, as I said, I really liked the idea of wine, but I had no idea how to get into it. So I actually started working at a wine shop. Uh, mm. So I did that for a year and a half, two years almost. In the UK? Worked, yeah, in the UK. Okay worked my way up and kind of as I was there just everything kind of clicked into place for me I started studying wine and just excelled in that um, and then after I left there I realized well so I, I actually left there to teach at, um, a wine school they exist I know uh, and then I interned at a wine awards um, competition and then I realized I wanted to be a writer so then hence when I went back to school did the journalism all been it's not as if I it's been a conscious effort of being like right I'm gonna do this and these are the yeah. steps it's kind of been a natural progression mm-hmm. and actually it's funny I've realized as I've gotten older that's really the best way of doing things I think when I was younger I was so obsessed with okay I've got this in my head and we're going to do it and I did and that was great but that put so much pressure on yourself mm. I think when you allow yourself space to just explore things that's when things seem to to work out I think it's wonderful that you said that as well because there's definitely people who have an idea in their head of exactly what they want to do and they go out and they do everything they can to achieve that speaking from personal experience but then there's also people who don't know what they want to do and I think it's so worthwhile to say to those people hey you don't have to settle like you don't have to settle in a job that you hate why are you going to spend your entire life doing that take the time you need to explore different things work for a year in this place work for a year in this place go to a different country and work somewhere study something new you know I think it's so worthwhile to tell Mm -hmm. people that Mm -hmm. and nothing is wasted honestly I mean I look back at my career and I'm like oh I did this and that and that and actually and they seem so disparate Desperate, dis- different, you know what I mean. Disjointed. <laughs> disjointed. Yeah. But actually, every single one of those experiences has come in useful for me now because it mm. means that I can talk, I can build a rapport with such a wide range of people. Or yeah. I'm like writing an article and I'm researching something. I'm like, oh, actually, I remember this about women in Spain, or I remember this about. So it might seem at the time that things don't are just random but honestly I think things will you'll be able to draw from that Um, you were saying there about people feeling like they're wasting time so I'm 34 now and I 
you know, when I was 30 years old, on my 30th birthday, I was living, I had to move back into my mum's house for a little bit, and I was on the single bed of my mum's spare room at 13. And I'd broken up with um, a partner I'd been with for a long time, and that is the lowest I've ever felt, mm. the lowest of the low, right? It's awful, actually, at my, the 30th birthday. But four years later, well, actually, at 32, things just, everything changed for me at 32. And I just think, gosh, you know, things can change. I know 30's not old. <laughs> I know 30's not old. But when you're 25, it might seem like you're old. And when I was 30 at the time, it felt like I had completely, I felt like, what have I done? I've seen all my friends and they've, but it's all worked out. So I really want to stress that to people. Yeah. Um, things just keep going. <laughs> I think society as well tells women in particular that 30 mm. is like a big, Absolutely. it's a big age. And it's like, oh, you're over 30. It's kind of like, oh, you're over the hill. And I turn 30. Well, when this podcast comes out, I will be 30. Like, I'm just turning 30 now. And I'm trying really hard to have a mindset of positivity around it because you see so many women be like, oh my God, I'm 30 or I'm dreading turning 30. And, you know, just trying to reframe that mindset around, mm -hmm. okay, mm -hmm. another decade of opportunities. That's but it. I have all of this experience of being an adult and failing and making mistakes and being a mess in my 20s that really I should be going into my 30s being grateful for all of that and going, hey, this is going to be even better. Yeah. The 30, my 30s have been so fantastic. Um, best decade of my years, you know, best <laughs> decade hopefully of my life so far. And I absolutely agree with that. Like, take that experience. It might, you know, it will be good and it will be bad, but move forward with it. Yeah, yeah. Use the information. Mm -hmm. um, is there a big difference between the culture, because you mentioned that you lived in Spain, of wine compared mm. to the UK? Because I feel like there's a big difference in culture around how alcohol is even consumed with regards to you know I lived in France I lived in the Canary Islands it's it's very much like enjoy a glass of wine over dinner whereas in the UK it's let's go out and get hammered yeah I, I, you've said it yeah I mean you've lived here in Europe too so exactly that Europeans are great for appreciating wine actually appreciating um, sitting down the theatre of wine right mm. Friends and family and enjoying it and it being an accompaniment to dinner or um, a ceremony, a ritual, whatever it is. Whereas here it's like, no, we're just gonna use it to get drunk. Um, and actually, that's really, that's a really great point because that's always been the bit that interested me. So as I mentioned, not being from a wine drinking family, I never understood the snobbiness about wine. Never mm. understood like this has to go with this or Italian wines the best or French wines the best for me it was always oh I have a glass of wine when I'm with friends or have a glass of wine when I'm eating dinner that makes me sound so sophisticated it wasn't but I, I appreciated I appreciated the theatre of it and that's yeah. what I love about Europeans um, yeah they just they've got much more respect for it yeah so I'm very ignorant about wine. I would be able to tell you this is a red, this is a white, and this is a rosé. <laughs> and that's probably it. So for those of us that don't know much about wine, could you 
share your knowledge with us. Oh my gosh, all of my knowledge. <laughs> Not all of it. We'll be here all day. <laughs> it's been a lot of years uh, researching. Oh, okay. So I, wow, that's a, that is a, like asking someone to, what is the secret of the universe? Um, <laughs> first and foremost, just drink what you enjoy. Okay, I think that's really mm. important. As I said, I did not come from a wine drinking background, so the snobbery of it is ridiculous to me. If you like it, enjoy it. I would say if you can afford it, pay a little bit more. Mm. So when it comes in the U- when it comes to wines in the UK, obviously you've got to think about logistics, shipping, bottling, duty, tax, etc. That's a certain amount of money, and that's the same amount of money on a bottle, whether it costs five pounds or fifty pounds, all of that put together. So, I mean, I don't know the figures off the top of my head, but roughly five pound bottle of wine roughly has about twenty pence worth of wine in it. Okay, mm-hmm. because it's been eaten up by all of those costs that I mentioned. So if you can go up to seven pounds, now we've got you know two pounds worth of wine in a bottle. You go up to ten pounds, you've got. So if you can, there's a real sweet spot with wines, which is about that seven to ten pound bracket. If you can afford it, I would really suggest going there. And you know, it's not just about the quality either. I think. We forget actually that wine is an agricultural product because it's so romanticized and, and whatnot. But as much as people care about the clothing industry now or care about organic wines or uh, mm. organic food, like people need their pay. Yeah. So if you're paying only five pounds for a bottle of wine, are you 100% sure that the people picking it are being yeah. paid correctly? Are you 100% sure that they're doing so? I just, that's. Another way, another thing I think people don't think about um, is we all love a bargain. Don't get me wrong, we all love a bargain, but someone does pay a price. So, yeah, that's what I would say for another one. Um, and then tasting-wise, I'm, I, because I feel like I've been quite like serious about it. So tasting-wise, I would say in order to, if you wanted to try and figure out um, what your style of wine is. If you're like, I like wine, I don't really know what my style is. So there's, there, I would break wine down into four segments. So for red wine, there are black-fruited wines and there are red-fruited wines. So uh, a black-fruited wines will have notes and flavours of, you know, blackberry, dark cherry, uh, blueberry maybe. And then, so they're looking at the kind of the Malbecs, yeah? Um, maybe the Merlots, like that, they've got some in it as well. Red-fruited wines will have... Uh, strawberry, raspberry, etc. So that's what you've seen in the white. Then for your white wines, you've got stone fruit flavours, so apricot, peaches, so that's stuff like Viognier, wines like Viognier, and then you've got real citrus white wines, so that's, you know, lemonish in line. So that would be your, um, you know, your Pinot Grigios, I guess. So I think once you've figured out those four quadrants uh, and you start realising, oh, this is more of a red, bread flavored red wine i like it and you realize that pattern then mm. you can understand what types of wine so then you, all you have to do is google red flavored wines right yeah. or, or whatever and that i think will then allow you when you're looking at that wine li- list you know in a restaurant or on the back of a label in a supermarket um you can just read those words and be like oh okay i know that's what i like let's try that one so that would be my biggest advice if you're just entering the wine world and trying to figure out what, what you like. Do you ever judge people based on what wine they drink? No. 
absolutely <laughs> not. Because I didn't have that. So this is this is a funny one because because I didn't have that growing up. Um, that's actually I think quite a unique thing about me in the wine industry. Um, I grew up drinking, you know, the wine on tap in Weatherspoon and the Blossom Hill white drinking dub. I drank it and I loved it. So I, why would I be a snobby yeah. about other people that are still doing that? Yes, my taste has now evolved. But do you know what? As far as I'm concerned, if you're drinking wine, then you're keeping me in a job. <laughs> and, can, and we can work with that. Excellent you know? outlook. I can work with that. Um, my mom, you know, where she um, really loved uh, an Echo, Echo Falls fruit fusion. That's oh. technically not even wine, but I'm like, okay, you're keeping <laughs> Pop the cork, mum. Pop the cork. Yeah. Let's go. Definitely. Uh, because if you like it, as I said, we can always, I can always be like, oh, you like that flavour. Let's mm. go over here and try something else. So no, no snobbering over here. Do you ever meet someone and try to figure out what wine they would like? Uh, no, I don't, mm, do I try and figure out what, why, people always ask me before I try and figure it out, I think, I think, you mm. know, that's the, they're that's like, the, let's get the professional, yeah. tell me what to drink. <laughs> yeah, I get asked when we're out, you know, with friends or whatever, all the time to choose the wine. Um, I do like matching wine with non-food things. Oh, like so what? I guess that's not quite an answer to your question, but. Like TV shows, I like to match wine to, or music, or books. Um, I occasionally do that online. So, yeah, not necessarily. Although it could, I could easily do it with people I've not. But maybe I should do like a this celebrity as wine. Yeah, you should. <laughs> like I would, I would eat that yeah. up. I'd be All like, right. oh, give me more. <laughs> Tell me some of the TV show examples. Uh, so one of my favorite. I am a not so secret Eurovision fan. Oh. Love Eurovision. It's one of my non-negotiables in life. <laughs> um, is Eurovision. So I always make sure there is sparkling red wine in the house for Eurovision because I just think it's the perfect, perfect match. Sparkling red wine is frothy. It's fun. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It's a little bit sweet. It's just a bit camp. It's everything I want in a wine for Eurovision. Yeah. yeah? Um, I did one recently about oh, Clueless, the 90s classic. It was on, mm. I don't know, uh, Channel 5 or something a few months ago. And in my head, it just was like, I need to match this with like a buttery Chardonnay because that was all the rage back in the yeah. 90s, right? You know, Oh, it's like all my mum drinks. Exactly. Yeah. So that is a perfect combination. So I love, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so fun. And for you... Do you have specific wines that you always drink or do you tend to always change it and try new wines? Um, yeah, life's too short for me to drink the same wine. Don't get mm. me wrong, there are wines that um, I know in the back of my head that if I, I don't know, found myself in the ridiculous situation of going to a party without a bottle of wine and there was a supermarket, I know that there are some that I would pick, you know? Yeah. But no, uh, I... Like, yeah, life is too short just to drink the same bottle, and I love trying different grape varieties. I'm in a very lucky position that I get sent a lot of wine, so um, you know, I don't need to thankfully. <laughs> yeah, and 
I always I want to ask you as well because you know you're a woman in this industry is mm-hmm. it female dominated is it male dominated because I know you've said there's a lot of snobbery mm-hmm. so what is it like for you having a place in this industry yeah and I would just like to add to that point that I am the first and only uh, wine writer of black heritage in the UK as well amazing so on top of being uh that I'm also a woman and I'm also young um and the wine industry has so many hurdles yeah right exactly um so the wine industry has historically been old white men in red trousers that's what they call them the, the red trouser brigade uh so no women are in the minority which is really funny not funny like that really um ridiculous it's actually scientifically women have better taste buds than men so there's this thing called the super taster and that means that per i don't know you know square inch on a tongue um you have more taste buds and mm. women are scientifically um more prevalent to have that than men so it's crazy really that women aren't recognized and actually that there aren't more women chefs because yeah yeah um and i think obviously historically drinking was a drinking wine was a a pastime of rich people yeah Mm. not not of not the plebs like me and my family uh and also when you think about the history of drinking in the uk as well you know god we had um separated salons right so men would go to the pub whilst women stayed at home so actually historically it's been men can have a drink women can't and then it became rich people can have wine and you know poor people can't so actually there's been all of these barriers of privilege Mm. that have meant that working class people are underrepresented in the wine industry people of color are underrepresented wine are uh, um women are underrepresented uh so yeah shattering all the glass ceilings yeah we've got a long way to go (laughs) yeah but what was it when you first you know got your qualifications you were like here I am I'm in the wine industry did you ever feel I don't want to say out of place because I feel like you 100% earned your place and deserve your place to be there but did you ever feel a little bit nervous about stepping in there or was it or were they more welcoming than maybe I'm expecting I have gone above and beyond what other fellow peers have of mine because I knew that I was starting behind them in the race. Mm. Yeah. So I've so the reason why I did my so I did my wine um, qualifications, realised I wanted to be a wine writer, and then went and did my journalism qualifications. Now. I didn't need to go and do those journalism qualifications. A lot of wine writers have not done those qualifications. But I knew, because of the person that I am, that I would face more scrutiny than they would. So I had to make sure that I went in there with all of the receipts, that no one could say I did not belong there. So I think that's something people don't really think about. And yeah, I did feel out of place. Um, because I don't... When I used to work, this I put it into perspective with this with this story. When I used to work at the wine shop, um, I was again the only woman and person of color in in the shop, and I there were like four or five other uh, four or five of us, and the rest were white, quite posh boys. Um, now I worked in a shop that was in Saint John's Wood, very expensive 
privileged part of West London, the people that aren't in London, where all of the big celebrities um, live, just to put it into context. So if someone came into that shop and asked one of, the, one of my colleagues <clears throat> for a recommendation, and if those colleagues said, oh, here was a good, you know, here's a bottle of wine, and they took it home and they didn't like it, that customer would just think, oh, well, you know, they just, that person, that one person didn't give me a good recommendation. Mm. Now, if I was the person to give them that recommendation, it's not she doesn't know about wine, it's black people don't know about wine, it's women don't know about wine. So I was, when I entered the industry, and still am today, very, very aware of that fact that mm. I carry on my shoulders the um, community, yeah, and yeah. and how they are think. So yeah, I think well, there's a weight of expectation exactly, as well. Yeah. So I think that's what it is. More than nerves, it's an understanding that I need to make sure I know a hundred percent what I'm doing to not let me and everyone else that hopefully will come up after me down yeah I think it's admirable of you to have done all of that and to be so I would say even overqualified for your job you know you know so many different aspects of it but you know it's such a shame that it had to be that mm. way the fact that you already know if I hadn't done this mm -hmm. I would not be taken seriously mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um which I think is awful but the positive thing about that is that you've been successful and you're doing it so well and you're doing it in out in public you know through your writing or in front of the camera or anything like that for young women young girls young girls of color to be able to look up to you and go hey you know what she's doing this and she's unapologetically showing up as she is in an industry that she's not supposed to be in historically mm -hmm. Even if that young girl isn't into wine, she can apply that to whatever industry she wants to and go, hey, I can show up here. Mm. You know, it has been said to me, oh, you, yes, you have done excellently. But I feel, I feel that I, it's great being the first, but if I don't do anything and therefore become the last, I have not succeeded. Mm. So that's, um, yeah, I think that's how I feel about it. I don't think, I don't know. I, um, yeah, I don't think I've done a good job until we, we um, start to see change. I think that's, that's the ultimate, the ultimate goal, I guess. So how do you think that, people can use wine instead of like kind of flipping it on its head instead of saying hey this is an exclusive club and we're going to keep everyone out how can we use that to say actually this is something that we can use to kind of bring us all together and find some common ground wine was literally i say invented obviously not invented but wine was literally invented for us to come together you know when we were you know, cavemen, and we found those fermented berries, we would sit around the fire and eat them and get slightly tipsy and enjoy being together. So I just feel like embracing that side of wine 
that social side of wine, that culture side of wine is a way we can do it. For me, that's just obvious, but I just, I don't know, maybe it's not. Yeah, what kind of advice would you give to someone who is looking to get into wine, who has an interest in it and kind of is like, hmm, I would maybe like to work in this industry or at least explore it a bit more. What advice would you give them? Number one thing, there is um, the industry's biggest ed- educational pro- provider called the WSBT, the Wine and Spirits Education Trust. They do four levels of qualification, so level one to four. Um, level one is just one day. Saturday, you know, just go, learn a bit about wine, some basic elements, fantastic fun. Um, so I would definitely say do that. And then if you wanted to carry on, you know, you can go through to level two, which I think is three days or a few evenings. So that would be the place to start. Amazing. Well, Alicia, thank you so much thank you. for coming on today and chatting to us all about not just about wine, but those conversations that have come off of that. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, then please don't forget to like, rate and subscribe and I will see you all next week.